You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. see God's grace? You see God's grace upon you even today? Well, if He got you up in the morning and kick-started your heart to beat again and give you a breath in your lungs, that's God's grace. That's God's grace for you today. You don't know what else went on in your life, but we live by that grace. Look what the grace of God has accomplished in your life. This remnant had returned from captivity. God had given them security. He established them as a people once again. No matter what you've been through, we often come to a point of forgetfulness. This is when you need to take a step back and reflect. Pastor Dave reminds us in today's message to take the time to count our blessings, to look and see the grace of God in our lives. When you do that, it renews your entire perspective on life. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Ezra chapter 9 as he continues his message, God's Hand of Grace. Some of the people come and complain to Ezra that various leaders, as well as priests and Levites, had taken foreign wives for themselves and also were giving their sons and daughters over to marriage. Looking at Josephus' take on this, he said that even some had gone so far, some of the Jewish men had gone so far to divorce their wives and marry foreign women. They were divorcing their wives and marrying foreign women. This was in direct violation of God's law. Exodus 35, 15 and 16, Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 6. It tells you about this law. Why was this law in place? God had a reason for this law. It was to protect the nation from the influence of other nations. Remember, when Joshua entered the land, what was he told to do? What was Joshua told to do when he came into the land? He was told to take out all the other inhabitants, to get rid of all the other inhabitants, because God knew if he didn't, this would happen. They would intermarry. And then all of a sudden, these people, these Jews would be led astray. They would be led astray to start worshiping idols. And that's exactly what happened, which is one of the reasons why they went into captivity for 70 years. So God, again, God knows what's happening. It's not like God doesn't know. But God had chose them in his love and had set them apart to do his will. He wanted them to be different. It wasn't that the Jews were holier than anybody else. It wasn't that they walked around being holier than anybody else. They weren't. They weren't better than any other nation. Someone once asked me, why did God choose the Jews? I said, because he's God. And he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. And so he chose this nation. He chose them. And it was through Israel that our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ, came. God wanted the line to be pure. 
And we had studied this, and we talked about this in Revelation, that Satan continued, tried to mess up the line. He continued, tried to mess up the line so that the line would not be pure, and Jesus couldn't come. But God had a better way and a better plan. Remember, what was the promise of God to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant in chapter 12 of Genesis? In your seed, all the earth will be blessed. Blessed. Who came from that seed? Jesus Christ. So all the earth was blessed. And when you look at the Jewish nation, when you look at the children of Israel, God's chosen people, look at the gifts that they brought to the world. Look at the gifts in a spiritual way that they brought to the world. First of all, they brought the knowledge of the one true living God. The Jews brought that in. They worshiped Lord God Jehovah, the living God, the I am. I am that I am. Secondly, the written word. They kept this word pristine. They kept it just as it is. They were the ones that continued to copy it down and continue to have it the way it is right now. So we can thank them for that, that we have God's word because of them. And thirdly, most important for us all, through them came Jesus Christ, our Savior. So look at those wonderful gifts that the children of Israel bestowed upon us. There was only one exception to this rule about marrying outside. Can anybody tell me who that was? His name was Boaz. He named, married Ruth. Why was this an exception? What made Ruth different than the other people? She accepted Boaz as God. She started trusting in the Lord God, Jehovah. So that makes her different. That makes her a different reaction. There are also some scriptures that say the soldiers could marry from conquered countries, women that they conquered countries, but they couldn't marry a Canaanite woman. There was something very foul and unforeseen that God did not like about the Canaanites, and they couldn't marry them. You have to read the law and study that. All right, so Ezra finds out about this. He finds out what's happening, and look at his reaction in verse 3. So when I heard this thing, remember Ezra is writing, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of my hair of my head and my beard and sat down astonished. Wow. Was Ezra having a temper tantrum? No. This was the way disgust was shown back then. This was the way he tore his clothes and he ripped out. That must have hurt. Ripped out his beard and his hair. It was a sign of complete contempt. Complete disgust and a troubled heart. The word says he was astonished. And really, you could put the word he was appalled. He was appalled. And in Hebrew, it means he was shocked and horrified at what was happening. He couldn't believe that these men were doing this deed against God. He was so astonished. How could they do such a thing after what God had done for them? He was shocked by our sin. And you know what? And aside here, I have to ask the question, are you shocked by sin? Does sin still shock you when you mess up? Are you shocked? Or are you dismayed? Are you saddened? Or do you just shrug it off? Is your character that you portray before others important? You have to answer those questions for yourself. I think they are very, very important. We'll talk about this a little later on. Has your salty life lost its flavor? Lost its savior. Does your salty life no longer sting? Does it no longer prevent corruption? 
Have you hidden your light under a bushel? This is what's happening with these men who are marrying outside of the Judy faith. They're taking God's word and they're trampling underfoot. They're trampling upon the law. So Ezra had to remind them about just how privileged they were. He had to remind them just how privileged they were. Now, I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, and then we're going to go back and pick it up, all right, to look at it. So let's read 5 through 15. At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting, having torn my garment and my robe. I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, oh, my God. I am ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty, and for our iniquities, we, our kings, our priests, have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation, as it to this day. And now, for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord, our God, to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you have commanded your servants by the prophets, saying, The land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land, with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from one end to another with their iniquity, Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters to your sons, and never seek their peace of prosperity, that you may be strong, eat the good of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve, And have given us deliverance as this, should we again break your commandments and join in marriage with people committing these abominations? Would you be angry with us until you had consumed us, or that we would be no remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. Wow. As I was reading, did you pick up on the grace that was being bestowed upon them? Ezra is reminding them of all the grace that had happened to them that continually pours out upon them. As I said, we have been saved by grace through faith. But that grace is a continuing thing in our lives. And we live by grace. We walk by grace. Paul says, I am but I am by the grace of God. And I've done more than them all, but not I, but the grace of God that dwells within me. So we continually have God's grace upon us. Some of the people were appalled with Ezra. And it says everybody who trembled at the word of God. Some people were really appalled at this and they were trembling too. But Ezra, being the spiritual leader and had special authority from the king, he comes together with these people and it says he sat astonished. He was appalled. It was almost like he was in a stupor. He didn't know what to do. He's sitting in the 
in the house of the Lord in this beautiful rebuilt temple, and he's astonished. He could have banished the people from the community. He could even taken their belongings and their property, according to the law. But God's grace was at work. God's hand of grace was not only upon him, but upon the entire nation. So because he was a man of God, he sought the Lord for the people. And I love this. Even to the point of identifying with their sin. Look at the words he used. Look at the words he used. For our iniquities, our guilt, our transgressions. Ezra was identifying with the iniquities and the sins of these people. And I love that about him. He could have said, look what that motley crew did. Look what they did. They need to have your hand upon them. You need to take your giant wooden spoon and smack them upside the head. You need to get rid of those clowns. But he didn't do that. He conjoined with his people. He joined with his people together and said, our iniquity, our sin. I love this. He didn't preach a sermon. He didn't call upon everybody who was in front of him who can dress. What did he do? What did he do? He fasted. And he, after he fasted, he sat down in the temple and he expressed his grief not only in front of the people, but more importantly, in front of the Lord. He was grieved. He was in horror. He was in astonishment. It's as if he was mourning someone who had died. He was mourning those who had died. And we know, spiritually, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin causes spiritual death. It causes us to die spiritually. And it was the original sin that causes us now to die physically. Because before Adam sinned, there was no death. Notice the words in verse 6. Ezra identifies himself with the people, with the people and their sins, speaking to God about our iniquities. Again, he didn't say, look what they have done. Israel was one nation. They were truly one nation under God. They truly were. God was their king, supposedly. God was their leader. Remember when Joshua came into the land, they had that great, wonderful victory at Jericho the first time? They went against another city called Ai, and they really didn't seek the Lord as much, but they went in there and basically got their butts kicked by this small town. And when Joshua got back, God told them, and he said this, Israel has sinned. Notice, he didn't say who had sinned. He said the nation had sinned. The nation had sinned. You know the story where he had everybody come out, and he went down, and it fell on Achan and his family because Achan had stole some of the spoil from Jericho, which was supposed to go to the Lord, and they end up killing him. They end up killing him, and then they went back and had a great victory at Ai. How do we put this into the context here? This may sound harsh, but we need to look at God's word as a whole. The church is one body before God. God is the head. If we don't deal with sin in the church, the whole church could be defiled. The whole church could be defiled. Ezra didn't even look up to heaven when he prayed. He was too embarrassed. He couldn't even look up at God and pray. In his normal, I'm sure his normal stance of praying was his hands up, looking up to God, praying. 
I'm sure that was his normal stance. But he couldn't do that because he was so embarrassed. Israel had not learned their lesson. They hadn't learned their lesson. In verse 7, since the days of our fathers, this, this day we have been very guilty for our iniquities and our kings and our priests have de delivered into the hand of the kings, etc., etc. We're all guilty. We haven't changed. We haven't learned our lesson. And this is what Ezra's saying. And then he says, we're unworthy of your blessings. In 8 and 9, we're unworthy of your blessings, but it's by your grace that you blessed us. Look back on your life today. Maybe even today, look back. You see God's grace? You see God's grace upon you even today? Well, if he got you up in the morning and kick-started your heart to beat again and give you a breath in your lungs, that's God's grace. That's God's grace for you today. You don't know what else went on in your life, but we live by that grace. Look what the grace of God has accomplished in your lives. This remnant had returned from captivity. God had given them security. He established them as a people once again. He had enlightened their eyes to what new freedom and a new life was like. He had built a wall in Jerusalem for protection. He was their shield and strong tower. And when Ezra was praying this, his heart was broken. His heart was broken. Ezra said, we're speechless before you. What can we say? You know, when you're guilty, you're guilty. What we need to do is admit it. We need to admit when we're at fault. Now, I know many of you never are at fault, but I am. Most of the time, I'm at fault. And I have to admit, I'm sorry I'm at fault here. We are, are at fault. They were not supposed to touch anything that is considered unclean. They weren't supposed to touch anything that was considered unclean. Remember, Ezra is a skilled scribe in the word of the Lord. He knew it backwards and forwards. He had studied it. And he knew what would happen. He knew that when men and women go and intermarry like that, they would turn from God. They would go to idols and begin worshiping foreign idols. And this is exactly what happened all through the Old Testament. All through the Old Testament, you read it. It's exactly what happened. And Ezra knew it. And finally, Ezra said, God, we're guilty. We're guilty. And I love this. I have to tell you this quote I read. I don't even know who wrote it. But it said, quote, guilt shuts a person's mouth before God, unquote. <laughs> yeah, it does. Ezra not only confessed their sins, but admitted that God had treated them better than they had deserved. What's that called? Grace. God's grace was with them. Grace, not getting what you deserve. And in this prayer, Ezra Humbly is asking God forgiveness. He's humbly coming to God and asking for forgiveness. We know in Psalm 51, David says, A broken and contrite heart you will not despise, O Lord. In other words, sorrowly repentance brings someone to God. We need that sorrowful heart help repentance. What God really desires is you to have a broken heart over your sin. He's not requiring to sacrifice. He's not requiring to, to beat yourself up. He's not requiring to think. What is requiring today is that you accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's what he's requiring of you today. God called his people unto separation. God called his people unto separation. In 2 Corinthians 6, 17... Paul was writing to the Corinthian church a second time about some of the other problems that were happening. And 
He told them they shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. They shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17, what the Lord's calling Israel, come out from among them and be separate. That word separate means to be holy. God is calling his people for separation. We are to be different from the world. We cannot have real communion with the world. We cannot have any common ground of meeting with the world. You're trying to bring two diverse situations together when you do that. When you take God and the world and try to put them together, it causes havoc in your life. You can't do it. You'll have too much of the world to be satisfied with Jesus, and you'll have too much of Jesus to be satisfied with the world, and you'll walk around in constant consternation, constant trouble, constant agony. When you're trying to join the life of the flesh and the life of the Spirit, it's impossible. You can't do it. They cannot commingle. That's an unequal yoke. Now, this whole thing came out of animals. When they would yoke animals together, they would want one that was weak with a strong one. They would try to yoke the two strong ones together to lead the course. They didn't want them to be unequally yoked. God's called you to come apart. He says this, be separate, says the Lord. Don't clutch on the unclean thing. And the Lord God said, I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters. As a child of God, we do live different than the person who's not a child of God. You're expected to live differently, different by standards, different by purposes. If you only love those who love you, what does that do good for you? We're supposed to be different. Even the publicans do the same. But love those who hate you. Do good to those who spitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. And so you shall be children of your Father. Jesus said that in Matthew 5. Jesus is declaring us to be different. This is what God was trying to tell to the Israelites. Be different. Don't be the same as everybody else. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Old things have passed away, everything has become new. God now lays claim to you as his son or his daughter. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are now a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And he accepts you. We read this in 1 John 2. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For he that hath love of the world in his heart doesn't love the Father. The Spirit cries, be reconciled with God. The ministry of reconciliation. You can only be reconciled to God when you come into the life of the Spirit. Denying the flesh, denying yourself, that self-centered life, by taking up your cross and following Christ. That's the challenge of the Spirit of God in our hearts tonight. I hope that we can respond in Jesus' name. But see, why am I telling you this? Because this is what was happening in Israel. It's the same situation. The same situation, but they were talking about marriage. They were talking about being unequally yoked here. Yes, I don't think it's wise for a Christian to marry an unbeliever. Oh, but I'm going to make them into a Christian. That's not going to happen. Well, it might, but chances of it happening are slim. Very slim. You are The first thing the Israelites did when they returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple was to set up the altar and make offerings to God. How about you? When God delivers you out of difficult times, what is your first response? Do you offer up your thanks and praise and worship? 
Do you set up an altar to remember all that God has done? I'm not talking about stacking stones, although that's one way to remember. However you choose to do it, find a way to keep a reminder of God's faithfulness where you will see it daily. Are you in a hard time right now? Or has God recently brought you out of something difficult? Either way, we would love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at info at capewatchradio.com. We want to be praying for you. Once again, that email address is info at capewatchradio.com. You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Pastor Dave has been teaching his way through the book of Ezra. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Want to know more about it or come see us sometime? Check us out online at assurehoperadio.com. Regardless of where you live, you can join us for services on our live stream to Facebook or YouTube. But if you're in the area of Cape May, New Jersey, come see us. Everything you need to know is on our website. Have you been loving this series in Ezra? We sure have, and we're glad you've come to join us today. We've reached the end of our time together for now, but we'll be back right here with more from Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope.